This episode is brought to you by the Project Manga Patreon, the best way for viewers to support the project and allow us a means to keep providing new and quality content to our subscribers. Go to patreon.com slash projectmanga and find out more about the perks we have available to patrons, including early access to all of our content and exclusive videos like behind-the-scenes footage and additional manga reviews. That's patreon.com slash projectmanga. All right, let's get into the episode. And welcome back to the Project Manga Podcast, where we cover One Piece, My Hero Academia, Ayashimon, Jujutsu Kaisen, Dr. Stone, and Mission Yozakura Family, week to week. Back this week, talking about Weekly Shonen Jump, issue number 12. I'm your host, Knox. I'm Mel Yenis. And for the first time ever on our show, we have Manga Crash joining us. Manga Crash, welcome, man. Thanks for joining us, bro. And thanks for having me. Oh yeah, dude. Finally getting it done, man. It's been tough to get you on the show because of like yeah. time zone differences. We literally live on opposite sides of the world, but we're here uh-huh. and we're about to we're yeah. about to do it today. Um, why don't you, for our audience out there that might not be familiar with your content and what you do, let them know who you are, what it is you do, and where they can find you. Right, so yeah, I'm Crash. I have a channel called Manga Crash because I talk about manga uh, in general. Uh, I talk like a lot about Shonen Jump stuff. Like for example, this video sh- uh, this week should be about the new um, Jump series. I also just do like history videos. Like for example, the Shoujo of the seventies and, and just random things. Honestly, whatever I like. <laughs> Hell yeah! Yeah, absolutely. We'll go ahead and make sure that we get all of the links for Manga Crash down in the description for you, so you can check out his channel. Give him a follow. Give him a sub all that stuff. And while you're down there, you can see all of our links so that you can follow us on individual social media accounts like Twitter, um, join our online communities like Discord, listen to the Project Manga podcast wherever you normally listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, what have you. Um, and there's also gonna be links that you can use to support the podcast by visiting our online store or our Patreon. But getting in to the discussion today, Weekly Shonen Jump issue number 12. We're missing Ayashimon and One Piece off of our roster this week, but everything else slapped really hard. I feel like there's dense conversations inside of the rest of the chapters this week, so we might as well go ahead and get right on into it. Starting with Mission Yozakura Family, chapter 118, Path of Retreat. How do we feel? Actually, Crash, first time on the show. How do you feel about Mission Yozakura Family this week, bro? Yeah, I mean, I love I love when Yuzukuri is like just slice of life in in general, like we've been having so mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like this chapter is getting us into the real action, and mm-hmm. I love when when we start getting that. Yeah, dude. Especially because even though Yuzukuri is like, it technically is a battle shonen, we don't get action that often. Yeah, especially do, compared to other battle shonen series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but when we do it, it tends to be pretty hyped, especially the uh, recently, and yeah. I'm pretty hyped for, especially for the next couple of chapters. Oh yeah, dude. It, especially with yeah. where we're at right now with Kyoichiro and Momo. Like, honestly, like, we've been in these slice of life chapters for so long, I almost forgot how crazy the overarching plot was, right? Because it's like, when we go into, you know, the confrontation, you know, between Kyoichiro and Momo, 
like right away he slashes him in half with steel spider and there's this like crazy exchange and then afterwards he says i soaked my steel spider in the somanine growth form uh, or in the somanine growth from tayo's body and i had like and then he's going you know in this like flashback panel of like tayo receives subomi's blood and then his blade passed through or his his blade passed through itsuwa who was revived by subomi's blood so like me soaking the steel spider in you know this concentration of somanine is allowing me to cut through you despite your somanine defenses coming directly from subomi so like that was really cool and i forgot like power system stuff you know what i mean like i forgot how like in depth the action and the drama kind of like gets when it comes to to mission yozakura family because we've had like six or seven straight slice of life like character driven like family interaction chapters so coming back into this was like kind of like a holy shit like a shock but like man i'm so glad we're back here <laughs> like i'm so I'm glad that really this is what we're doing with... right now yeah go ahead bella i'm really happy with like how they use like the the concentration the so many concentration because yeah. like it really re-emphasizes the idea that like koichiro is an assassin they are focusing on the most efficient way to like bypass an opponent's defenses or advantages and negating them cutting to the point um and the like exchange between koichiro and momo i like the line is just like the lines of like you've gotten too you're no longer an assassin you're just a monster your training means nothing to you you're sloppy like you're too used to these defenses you're too used to this power you don't run into challenges mm -hmm. too often for an extended period of time since you've reached this new state that you're in right now this monster state and you can't see me no more you know what i'm saying like i train every day i'm on missions constantly steel spiders soaked in somanine versus like washed up ex-assassin effectively you have no chance and i was just like damn koichiro go bro like fuck yeah like let him know yeah it's like between like two old blades in the dark you've lost your edge like period let's go um but at the same time i don't know if like momo if momo's actually down and out because he's I like, hey, so. that was a. I don't think so either, because of like the weird like hyper regeneration that they have going on for themselves, sure. and the fact that like Koichiro is surrounded, yeah, coming forward. So right. I'm like, and it's not just that either, be because it's like, like okay, so even though you know towards the end of the chapter, I mean, throughout this entire exchange, it looks like Kyoichiro has Momo on the ropes here. But at the end of the day, like this is a power system that kind of um relies on that like trump card right i mean like most power systems rely on like you know some kind of like up the sleeve trump card that you eventually pull out when it really matters we just haven't seen that from suba or from momo right like Mm -hmm. he's literally existed entirely on like you know just being where he needs to be at any point in time having the resources that he needs to do what he needs to it's it's basically like his power you know this monster form that he has that he's reliant on plus the fact that he's always a couple steps ahead mentally but like now that it's like brass tacks and like we're squaring up, it's like it's your power versus my power, and neither of these guys have gone into their bloom yet, is basically mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So like even though Momo is getting whooped in this chapter, obviously it ends with Kyoichiro surrounded, like we know, so we know he's not out from this point. But then also it's like when is Momo gonna actually 
activate you know what i mean like he hasn't done shit but take damage and like send like you know very concentrated shots out and then disappear into a puff of smoke you know what i mean so like we don't really know exactly what he can do and same with kyoichiro kyoichiro hasn't showed us the bloom either so these next couple of chapters are going to be insane for that <laughs> nice yeah. um i wonder because like if kyoichiro fails is that necessarily death? We've I know we've talked in the last couple chapters about how we've kind of noticed a, a trend of red flags leading up to Kyochiro's like disappearance and like striking out on his own and like the idea of like, you know, the family stays together, survives together because he's going without them. He's doomed himself. Right. And then he's getting outnumbered, which was kind of the point of the family anyway. Yeah. Um yeah. But at the same time, I feel like they might keep him alive, at least temporarily, to A, drain life force, to aid Tsubomi's recovery, oh, and B, damn. use as like a hostage to force a situation with the rest of the family, because they know that they value Kyuchiro. Yeah. So then they, they need... They need Mitsumi, right? Like, they're right. trying to gain Mitsumi, and so I feel like using him as a hostage or a bargaining chip would probably be the smart thing to do, and then as a way of, like, restraining him, they would just feed most of his energy to Sabomi and not straight-out kill him. Yeah, um, I, guess I, never really thought of, I guess I never really thought about that possibility, because we have been talking about Death Flags with Koichiro, everybody's been talking about Death Flags, you know, uh, with Ko with Koichiro's character in the last, in this last, like, stretch of, like, slice of life storytelling that we've kind of gotten, and, um, and there's other examples of it, too, that, that people have been pointing to, like, we've just been getting, like, a bunch of, like, Koichiro character yeah. focus and pathos for him over the last, like, however long, right, but I just can't see, like, death like that inside of a story like Mission Yozakura Family. So I think that the idea of building up all of this Kyoichiro-centric storytelling for his character is going in towards some very dramatic and some very, like, tension-fueled, like, you know, developments. I don't think that that's going to be death. I think I like your idea better that it's going to be more of, like, a hostage situation because that is still going to effectively do the same thing as in regard maybe not the same thing as the death but we are going to further break down Kyoichiro's character if he is in that kind of situation where he is used as a bargaining chip as a completely overpowered defeated Kyoichiro that's dangled in front of the rest of the family to get whatever you know Momo and Tsubomi and and the rest of this antagonist group kind of wants from the protagonist cast right now I think that that slaps harder than just outright killing him because this is at the end of the day a story about you know character transparency throughout a family unit you know what i mean like we are learning more about these characters learning more about what makes them a family and just getting more information that makes them feel like more of a family to us so i feel like death is definitely like a thing that can be used for that at the most extreme sense but like i just can't see the end of mission yozakura family without all of the family members in together you know what i mean i just can't picture mm -hmm any of these characters dying at all i just don't think that fits the vibe and the direction of the story so far personally i i personally can see it uh though it depends on where we are at the story because i don't think we are at the end right. i don't see if, if there's a character dying i i think it'll be more towards the end 
Yeah, um, that too. So I definitely think like Rescue Heart arc will be fun. Um, Straight up. Yeah. yeah. It'll be fun, and it'll and and honestly, it'll make like you're saying, Crash. It'll make more sense for like where we're at at this point in the story. Because you're right, it does not feel like we're at the end. End. You know what I mean? But you never know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like after like like this is the like final confrontation that we're looking at on this last double spread. You know what I mean? Like we have like the rest of the Subomi, or not the rest of the of the Subomi. Yeah, the rest of the Subomi descendants, right? Like the the next heads of the family, like in order after her or whatever, right? So you have like this one that looks is very big and burly, like Shinso. You got this one mm -hmm. next to him that clearly seems to be modeled after Shion. Um, this one with like the Nen. Or not Nen, but the <laughs> this one with like the nun aesthetic yeah. <laughs> is clearly Kyoichiro. Um, and then obviously this one, you know, with the big hair and the crazy eye is like Nanao or some shit. You know what I mean? So a little bit of Kengo too, because like the way oh, yeah, Kengo's hair Kengo. covers his face. Like yeah. I love... maybe it's like a two in one yeah. in that way. Mm -hmm. Or wait, didn't we already see the Kengo equivalent <clears throat> clan head? True. True. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the silk did. lady. Yeah, I thought I thought we had already seen Kengo's um, descendant equivalent already, but yeah. Oh uh, yeah, Nanao would be really good. for I that think it is Nanao well. because if you look at like the bottom like left like uh, panel lineup for the double spread, um, the eye. It's it's the eye, bro. Like like it, yeah. it, even even though I can kind of see Kengo in like the zoomed out like portion of the double spread in the top right. As soon as you get to that bottom left corner and you get the zoom in of the face, like it's just all Nanao for me. Ah, uh, yeah. Plus, like his all white kind of exterior kind of would match like mm -hmm. the, the like the general shape, including hair. Right. Fits Nanao's like frame and kind of stuff, so like yeah. I can see the parallel there. Yeah. The part that I like the most about this series is that they manage to have like break down the various like specific characteristics of family members and are able to mix and match them to create all these different clan heads and like create a family resemblance without being like a series of clones which i find is really impressive and hard to do especially mm. in like the medium of manga where like they're like oh they changed their hair they're a completely different person ha 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 yeah. and it's just like okay y'all are like the same five dudes okay yeah. but like this one it doesn't feel like that and yeah. i i really appreciate that they they work hard to make them distinct while still sharing so many similarities hell yeah that was well which said. is ironic because there's clones in here yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are clones. And like how do you have a series with actual clones from a specific family and still look more distinct than like a lot of generic series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. straight up. No. <laughs> it's like this is how you do a clone. Right. Let me show you how to do this. ETG Gondira, man. Like, okay. The situation, though, I'm, I, I, like, completely forgot, like, where I was even going with pointing out what I was pointing out uh, a couple moments ago. But, yes, we are not at the end because I can't see Kyoichiro taking out all of these characters in the next chapter or two or three. You know what I mean? Obviously. So he, he gets to make his statement as the eldest brother. He gets to go out and do his selfish, you know, thing where he's like, 
I'm I'm the older one. I need to go handle this alone. The rest of my siblings don't need to be involved. Like we already know exactly like what his, where his mind is at in regard to this. So mm -hmm. this is going to be great for his character growth-wise, for the growth of the rest of the cast and their reaction to how Kyo Kyoichiro is handling this situation. So I think that all this is meant to do is just give us a great confrontation between the rest of the Subomi descendants and Kyoichiro, Kyoichiro can get whooped, either taken as a captive or just like badly brutalized and beaten and left to come back to the house, you know, and then, you know, introspective character driven storytelling surrounding that development. But like I'm saying, I think what makes the most sense is what Mello was saying earlier about how he does his thing. Maybe we get some back to back bloom action, huge full power fight. Kyoichiro is taken down by the end. The family maybe pulls up to see him taken captive. They disappear, they disappear in a cloud of smoke. And now we go into the rescue of Kyoichiro arc. I think that that would be a really cool way to develop this situation specifically. I'm curious to see Kyoichiro's bloom. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah I was going to ask what it would look like. Yeah. What were you saying, Crash? I don't know. I was going to ask if. If you think we're gonna see the the bloom in in this fight, or maybe he gets taken out before he even uses it, if, if not now, could, when? Yeah. Well, that's true. I, uh, that's true. I, I think it makes sense either way, right? Because obviously Hitsuji yeah. Gondaira has been saving this bloom and the opening of Kyoichiro's eyes for the entire fucking series. So as soon as his bloom activates, that's going to be the payoff for all of the buildup for 118 chapters of, of that weight. So I can definitely see it in this next fight, but it also makes sense that if you've been saving it for this long, that you want to save it for maybe final confrontation. You know what I mean? So like whether he activates his bloom in this fight or it's saved for like the very like final fight, I think makes sense either way, but I would love to see it right now. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, I had an idea, and I think I'm going to adapt off a little bit of yours. Yeah. Um, my idea was that his bloom was d directly under his eyelids. And so when he opens up his eyes, you see like a curled up flower, and it slowly unfolds oh. from his eyes. And that's his bloom. And Dude, what if like, his okay. irises are like, like even like, even if it's not like physically like 3D, like flower bloom coming from his eyes, like what if that's literally just like the shape and aesthetic and design of his fucking eyes is like all the time. Yeah. is like literally just like a, like a rose blossom. Like mm -hmm. that's just the shape of his thinking, iris. Oh. That would be fucking amazing. <laughs> And then maybe because like you were talking about saving it for half, I was like, what if he's like, okay, I'm going to use one eye. Yeah. Just opens oh, up one. Wow. Blooms outward, and then for like the final series, he uses both, and he's like, I don't know, maybe uses like pollen and vibrations to like sense things without sight. Ooh. He's like, yeah, I've increased my speed, I've increased my reaction time, and like my 3D spatial awareness, no Ooh. blind spots kind of bloom i was like yeah that'd be yeah the the only reason why i don't think he would go only one eye in this confrontation and then save the second eye for like the final confrontation or whatever like mm -hmm. we get both eyes open in the final fight the only reason why i think that, that would be weird here is because kyoichiro has no reason to hold back right now you know True. what I mean? It's literally just him versus like six wildly capable individuals that he knows that he needed to come prepared to deal with. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. I can't see him just being like, I'll give you guys half the eye right now. I feel like that would be too like metatextual of a wink to the audience. You yeah. know what I mean? It just doesn't feel like it would make too much sense in the moment for Kyoichiro's like in this Unless vacuum he... of a situation. You could use like something 
you can't use the full power unless it has like setbacks and you can't use them for a certain amount of time or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, so unless there's some see. kind of condition or some kind yeah. of like written in reason why Does it only makes to sense see. to use one. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because he doesn't use the whole thing because he can't really see very well. So he keeps one eye held back because he still needs to see. Mm. Okay. Oh, so maybe, maybe is, the caveat is that it takes vision away. Yeah, does he need to yeah. see? Because his eyes be closed all the time. <laughs> hey, Brock could see. No, but like, Brock the, the, the treads. Out. Yeah, that's right. The, his whole thing is like the spider, like the treads. He can probably sense movement yeah. better. I mean, he probably really does he sense movement better than most. That's he a good really point, too. Yeah, he probably sees through Steel Spider. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, I'm like that. I'm looking forward to it. Like, I just want to see the fight. Um, yeah, but I feel like he's gonna give him like some really good hits that like heal slowly, and then they probably do like um like a vine graft or something like that, mm. and like use his life energy to heal up the people that he wounded, and that's just sure. a way to like fictionally tie him up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think they're going to do the whole, you know, time up in vines and time to a railroad track. Like, I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I, that before we get done with the, with the review for this chapter, I definitely have to go to page 16 and 17 and just, like, comment on how, like, amazing this fucking double page spread is. Because, like, when I turned the page into this and I just saw, like, the really scratchy, like, pencil, like, shading blackout that they use for his face which just fits mm -hmm. so well for, like, the technique yeah. of Steel Spider because it's so reminiscent of the art used for, like, the collection of strings. You know what I mean? It just all feels mm -hmm. so good aesthetically. Plus, the movement is captured so well with, like, the the foreground strings being in, like, 4K resolution and then the background mm -hmm. strings being, like, hella blurred to imply that, like, in-the-moment motion and, like, having all of that in, like, double-page spread where, like, the main aesthetic is these wires... Like, all throughout the thing, it just really makes me feel like I'm surrounded by Steel Spider the same way Subomi or the same way Momo is. And I just feel, I just have to take my hat off to, to, to Hitsuji Gondaira for just the immersion factor of this double page spread. It's, it's a really... beautiful page. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's real nice because generally, of course, you always do amazing spreads like the last, uh, the last one on the right. chapter where yeah. it's always like about the light. Yes. Um, and in this case, it it isn't, but he knows how to do it anyways, which is is amazing. Hell yeah, yeah. Lighting is like a major major point in Hitsuji Gondaira's art that I feel like we've yeah. never like specifically commented on. Mm. But I love the way that the screen tone the screen tones are like you know a gradient from this stark white like out into this like light gray screen tone effect and the, the, the particle effect on the gradient is I feel like what stands out the most to me because it really feels like there is a fire in front of them or like a light yeah. source directly shooting up from the bottom into their faces and I just love the representation of that in the art with the use of screen tones and that like kind of like speckled um stipple almost gradient effect that it uses I fucking love that shit in in Gondira's mm -hmm. art man they're funky. They uh, very uh, children of the corn kind of vibe type shit. And I'm just like, ah, oh, god, you creepy ass children. Yeah, yes. for real. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love the line on 16 where he's like, you know, I stand between you and my siblings. 
I've never had a path to retreat. That and like that encapsulates so hard. That encapsulates his mentality entirely. He's too stubborn to go look for another path. And he's like, I can't imagine yeah. myself doing this. Yeah, but at the same time, like, eldest siblings are relating mm -hmm. hardcore to the sentiment and the way that it's wrapped up in such a succinct, poetic, you know, bow of a, of a dialogue delivery is just like, man, Gondaira. Once we get back to this overarching, you know, drama, like, Gondaira, make sure you don't forget, like, this is his bag, too. Like, not just the slice of life family dynamics. Like, this overarching plot is bussing right now in every sense. <laughs> like, writing, art, development, dialogue, like, everything is, mm -hmm. is firing on all cylinders, despite the, you know, six or seven week slice of life gap that we kind of got in between the last big plot chapter in this one mm -hmm. yeah. uh 12 and 13 i really liked the image of him like i know that like the image blurs like he's pulling the strings taut the cat's cradle taut to like mm -hmm. attack momo mm -hmm. but i had this moment where like the positioning of his arms and the way he's backed if you've flipped it and mirrored it it reminded me of um, the Hunter x Hunter arc during the New York New Auction. Mm. And Krolo's like, this is a symphony for you, Uvogin. Because yeah. he does like that arm thing and like they're both wearing black suits. And I was like, and then there's Yo. just this cacophony of violence going off in front of him. And I was yes. like, yeah, that's a good... I like that vibe. I like that I vibe like, a lot. Dude, I never even thought about that. And I'm like, usually like right there with like Hunter Hunter, like not references, but just like this always, this reminds me of Hunter Hunter. Like, I feel like I always fucking say that. And I like <laughs> didn't even get the Crollo like symphony orchestra like vibes from this right away. But now that you pointed it out, it's totally there for me too, dude. And I mm -hmm. love feeling like that. It's probably not like a reference reference. But I just love feeling that. I like vibe the vibe. Coming. Yeah, like straight up. Like I totally hear what you're saying, bro. But yeah, other than that, I'm pretty happy with the chapter. I don't Hell think yeah. I have anything else. Fuck yeah, dude. I think I'm good on, on Yozakura too. Crash, you got anything else for Yozakura this week? Uh nope. <laughs> Alright, bet. Great combo, you guys. Alright, getting into Jujutsu Kaisen, chapter 175, Sendai Colony Part 2. Holy shit. What a chapter. How do we feel, Mello? I, oh, dude, this cockroach, <laughs> this cockroach is so cool. I never yeah. thought I would say that. Right. <laughs> dude, I love Kuroroshi, man. Yeah. His, his fucking, the multiple pupils is probably one of my favorite, like, horror, bodily horror aesthetics. Yeah. The fact that, like, it's done on a bug multiple times, like highlights the multifaceted eyes and mm -hmm. like the multiple like visuals. Like this fight had everything. everything. He had like he had summons that did like CC effects. Like, and I remember him saying it's like blinding, blinding, blinding. And so he literally just summons these little like flying pus sacks to <laughs> like. To like be annoying, block vision, and then when they're struck down, they explode in like kind of like a like a stinky bitter liquid, like a yeah. like those bombardier beetles, which probably has some kind like, of like corrosive like damage over time effect that we can assume. Maybe stings the eyes just so that he can even like blind him a little further, like yeah. like uh, pepper spray or something yeah. like that. Uh, that's that was the kind of vibe I picked up. 
I'm so happy about the festering life blade just being exactly what I thought it was going to be Dude, in my yeah. head. Yeah, like you literally uh, like uh, said something a lot. Like I the blowfly sure. magnet. Yeah, yeah the, you said it. The body. Yeah, and then they immediately explode. I'm like, yes, no ticking time bomb maggots. This is even better. Um, Dude, that like, was wild, bro. Like, pretty sure you I, said that the effect would be exactly this. Yes. I love, but the thing that I like that I didn't like predict was that the fact that like he blocked the blade and then they still fired. So that yeah. means every single chop, it fires those like blowflies. Yeah. And that's just nasty. I love that. That's really cool. Like, yeah. Trick of the, like, I love, I love weapons with tricks. That's yeah, all I got. Yeah, dude, straight up, straight up. So much fun. I love the, um, I love the conversation that he has where he's like, I'm being watched by these other two players. They got high scores. You know what I mean? I don't want them to know that I have reverse curse technique, even though that's definitely like the route I have to take to quickly expel this thing while I don't have access to, um, or quickly exercise this thing while I don't have, have access to Rika. You know what I mean? So that's mm -hmm. really cool that, because I, I always love that, um, that vibe in stories like Jujutsu Kaisen and Hunter Hunter and, um, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where it's like you don't want people to know what you can do if you can help it. You know what I mean? You want to keep yeah. your trump cards hidden. You want to keep your just overall abilities hidden and try to take out your opponent with them not knowing what happened to them so that you don't have to give away your strategy to people that might be on looking. So like that aspect is like one of my favorite things about Battle Shonen in the last like five to ten years is how like that's like what I look for. You know what I mean? In series nowadays mm -hmm. is like, do they have this kind of dynamic inside of their power system? Because I feel like you can go like one of a couple different ways. You can either go like, you know, um, one piece, black clover, like fairy tale style where it's just like, this is my ability. This is how it works. I'm shooting it at you. You know what I mean? And then you have like Hunter Hunter Jujutsu Kaisen where it's like, I'm not telling you shit actually and good luck you can find it out you know if you're tight enough you know undead unluck you type shit. <laughs> yeah yeah like undead unluck is like really good about it too you know what i mean so like just i wanted yeah. to focus on that just because that's like one of my favorite aspects of this like action dynamic in jujutsu kaisen but then also when he finally does you know have to use cur uh reverse curse technique to do, to to exercise Kuroroshi, which is an amazing scene that we can talk Brutal. about too but like the fact that um the fact that like hold on i need to find the actual like line of dialogue for it because this kind of like, got... like the page turn from 15 into the 16 17 murder scene yeah is just so good and yeah, i'm like it is oh wait what oh god this is graphic oh yeah oh yes oh oh you <laughs> you out monster to monster right this is that's <laughs> disgusting and i love it. it which is also just like so jujutsu kaisen because it's like you think you have the fighting styles figured out and then when your back's against the wall and you're about to die your fight or flight response like kicks in and it really brings that animal out of you to do exactly what you need to do and it was just so unexpected to see, you know, you to take a very, like, monster, you know, holy shit, bite you in the face and fucking, like, shoot positive energy into your brain, like, because you're, he was literally, like, dead to rights, like, he was about to die, yeah, unless he, he was, was just dumb. like, ah, you know what I mean? So it's like, you just completely just throw your humanity away so that you can survive the moment and just make yourself look like more of a monster than the literal cursed spirit 
cockroach monster that you're fighting i wasn't that ready for gege to, to do that yeah this thing literally eats people in a giant and cloud of bugs and like, yuta out monstered him like that's <laughs> fucking insane but uh, the, so the, the positive energy thing is what i want to focus on here because he says kuroroshi is a cursed spirit like I did to Itadori before, I can exercise it by driving positive energy from reverse uh, curse technique directly into its body. So when we were talking about this situation, the last time it was like super relevant in conversation was like during the Shibuya incident chapters when Sukuna was fighting Maharaga and Maharaga had like an entire like gauntlet on his like right or left arm that was a blade comprised of like entirely positive energy and Sakuna commented yeah. on it and was like that's positive energy and that was the first time that we had gotten that terminology inside of Jujutsu Kaisen so obviously it sparked this huge conversation and um and we were talking about you know the possibility of Yuki you know Ghetto's like um homegirl that that he was talking to in uh the hidden inventory flashback when with the first time that we got that conversation about like the future of humanity and the future the future of cursed energy and how we can either teach everyone to use cursed energy effectively like a sorcerer or just kill everybody that has cursed energy i think that doesn't have or it, that yeah. doesn't that doesn't have cursed energy i think were the two options there and yeah, then we were... both goals was a hundred percent cursed energy saturation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we had that situation and that, like you know, like that philosophy, like brought up in their conversation that we talked about. And then as soon as the Sukuna versus Maharaga stuff happened with the positive energy blade, we started talking about how it's possible that if positive energy is a specific area of the power system, the way that Sukuna explained it, used exactly for just instantly countering curses you know with the difference in, in in energy to 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 exercise them instantly like what the possibility is that that's the final goal of yuki or just humanity in general to abandon cursed energy entirely and upgrade to positive energy specifically so that curses are just no longer a problem you know or at least that big of a problem regardless on the grade Right, because yeah. it's like if you have concentrated positive energy that you can just inject directly into a curse, it doesn't really matter how powerful they are in curse energy relativity, right? Yeah. Because you're using the opposite energy that's used specifically for eradicating them. So you can be a Hanami, you can be a Jogo, but if you come in contact with this energy, it's gonna start breaking you apart. Kind of like anti-magic in Black Clover or yeah. anything yeah. that uses anti-magic. I was gonna mention that. Yeah, 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 you know what I mean? So if that's the case, and, and I didn't know that, I, I like for the longest time, I thought that positive energy was like a divine blessing kind of situation that would be tied to like heavenly restriction and like all of this stuff. But it seems like positive energy and reverse curse technique are outputting the exact same thing which i didn't like realize before because reverse curse technique is such a personal healing ability you know mm. what i mean like and, and and i love how gege you know kind of had a way to hide that connecting line between positive energy and reverse curse technique up until this point because i think that this line of dialogue in this chapter is the first confirmation that we kind of have that maharaga's positive energy blade concentration is literally the same thing as the reverse curse technique that we use to heal ourselves. But because the stipulation inside of curse, reverse curse technique that we have so far is that nobody can do it on other characters, 
that was the connecting line between the two concepts that was missing for me. I had always seen reverse curse technique as something that's like, oh, I've taken too much damage, let me heal myself. Oh, and then in the case of Yuta, my homegirl took too much damage, let me use this reverse curse technique to heal her. And I thought that positive energy was like, a, you know, an offensive version mm. of that, but like entirely separate. But no, if you have the ability to externally use reverse curse technique the way that Yuta does, it's the same exact thing as Maharaga's positive energy blade. And this chapter literally confirmed that for me. I don't know if anybody else out there came to the same conclusion before this chapter, but this one was massive to me for that specific point. So I wanted to highlight that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I always use the reverse reverb curse technique <laughs> um, as uh, sound, really. Like, yeah. I always think about, like, because, like, I was thinking of, like, okay, yeah, the curse, if I view the curse energy as, like, a sound wave, yeah. and then the reverse curse technique is literally the opposite sound wave diametrically, and when you play it at the same time, at the same frequency, they're reversed but they cancel each other out and create silence. Yeah. So like, that's kind of how I viewed it. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. You're applying the curse on a frequency that is exactly the same, but reversed. So you're negating it. Sure. All right. That makes sense. Like yeah. you, like if, if, if a curse is just a ball of noise and malice, <laughs> then by having that opposite sound, you are creating silence and that would theoretically like exercise it. That's why they literally fall apart regardless of their physical defenses. Right. Um, and I think it'd be really interesting to do that kind of like positive energy production like in a citizen. So like, it'd be like that idea where like a guy who's untrained, like a random civilian gets attacked by a dog and he, you know, he sticks his fist inside the dog's mouth. Yeah. And they're Except like, oh, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like that. I imagine there'd be a lot of situations like that. They're like, oh, this curse is faster than me. Ah, it's bit me. I, I tried to like put some distance and it's now it's got a thing. Well, I'm just going to channel positive energy into this thing. Yeah. Because it's got, it's, it's literally biting into me. Yeah, I don't know put what their, else to put do. Put their super confident like attack that they thought they got me dead to rights for and just turn that entirely against them by just pumping this. This, yeah, you know, I feel factor. like um, yeah. the only curses that would be doing well in a world like that would be the ones that would have like ranged options or things that involve like crowd control, like a spider curse or something like that, that like yeah. has time and ways to like indirectly attack something. Otherwise, like, you know, you can just train us a bunch of civilians. Hey, the moment you get bit, you need to do this or you are right. fucked. Yeah. I just love the way Gege holds information back in a way to where once you get the full picture and you have the whole puzzle piece connected, you're like, this always made sense from the beginning. But then as Gage is giving you those breadcrumbs and those chunks little by little, you think you have an idea of how something is going. But then until that last piece of the puzzle is added, you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. You know what I mean? I thought I, thought I was on the way there. I thought I was sleuthing properly. But this this factor that's just now been introduced and completed the picture now gives me, you know, the entire view of what I thought I was looking at. And it's close enough, but it's different enough also to where it works as a payoff for, you know, the weight for the information. You know what I mean? But at least that's how it is for me in regard to this positive energy situation thing and, and the way mm -hmm. that it ties into reverse curse technique because i was so sure that it was like a completely separate area of the energy system that like operated in like the same echelon but still had clear 
you know, delineation separating them. But now it seems like it's all the same thing. And the reason why it makes sense as a difference is because of how rare it is that individuals can use reverse curse technique externally. You know what I mean? So like, it just feels beautiful mm -hmm. to me. But going into the actual like choreography, because we definitely have to talk about the Ooh. choreography on the art from page yeah. one. Kurorishi comes out instantly with the fucking Fester Life blade and fucking Yuta slices the arm off at the bicep. You don't get your momentum. You don't get your connection. And I'm stabbing my katana directly through this arm into this rock. So now your Fester Life blade is out of here. Into the Shen shoulder check. Boom! Whenever I see this fucking technique used in close quarters combat in manga, it just gives me life because it's like such a raw martial artist kind of technique. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you only see this kind of attack from grandmasters of hand-to-hand -hand martial arts like combat like like some scrub some like little guy is never gonna bust out the fucking like sidestep shoulder check shockwave like this is mm -hmm. exclusively for motherfuckers who know exactly what they're doing and to see that yuta has this kind of like close quarters combat capability without the sword is very exciting to me checks him he bounces down the fucking block he fucking skipped him like a fucking smooth rock on a flat lake he went flying bro and then he mm. runs back up on him as he's trying to escape grabs the fucking fencing and whips it at him bro i was like yo this motherfucker yuta is not playing with kurorishi right now he takes the fucking <laughs> fence to the chest and then before he has time to even think about what's happening yuta flash steps behind him with the sword in hand again for the downward spike and it's just like holy shit gege this is some of the coolest choreography that i've seen in a while and we just came out of two crazy fights for choreography so mm -hmm. <laughs> no. wild shit son yeah i think because gege is probably more just guys in general is more known for the techniques and everything but i honestly when it's end-to-end -end, it's when i love it the most i think yeah gege has an eye for choreography for paneling that is just it it's it is amazing it's probably one of the best in in the magazine right now yeah and i people who know me probably know that i'm not the biggest fan of Jujutsu kaisen so this is like right. one of the things that i'm always saying that it, it does really really well it's the oh, yeah. paneling the 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 end hand fights can't be disputed uh, like that's the one thing yeah. that even if you're not a big fan of the power system you're not a big fan of the characters you're not a big fan of the overarching plot for whatever reason you're not a big fan of all of these things at the end of the day the one thing that we can all agree on is that gege is a master at hand-to-hand -hand choreography period yeah yeah i love how cinematic the series have gotten over the years and i think that like mangaka have consciously work to like make their series easier to adapt into an anime yeah uh, to be honest i feel like we've hit a point in like the sheer amount of like cultural content that we're just like we're going to assume that the goal is syndication like mass serialization yeah multiple like mediums etc yeah. like we talk about like how my hero has a very cinematic thing we were talking about how chainsaw man was basically mm -hmm. a love letter to like a billion cult classic movies yeah just movie uh, nerds in general yeah mm -hmm. fujimoto is he loves movies you can see from both chainsaw man and fire punch and yeah. even the one shots i think look back is mm -hmm. incredibly cinematic i think yeah. it's probably one of the best for him 
yeah, in that regard. Sure. Absolutely. So I'm glad for like these developments. I like that Kuroroshi is not easily taken down. I like the swarm. Yes. The way he's like using the cockroach summons, almost like uh, Gara's sand a little bit, which right. is like also awful to think about. Yeah. Um, I love how like even though Yuta, we're like so positive that Yuta is going to pull this W out just because of his history of his buildup in volume zero and then subsequently into the main continuity storyline that we're following right now. We, we have gotten multiple examples either through direct physical, you know, um, showing or like secondhand dialogue that Yuta is not to be trifled with in, in any sense of the word. He's being compared to Gojo in all of these ways. His like actual physical, you know, feats on page represent you know, the dialogue that has surrounded him, you know what I mean? So I couldn't see Kuroroshi, despite Kuroroshi's buildup, as like the first big sentient curse since the curse family to encounter someone from the protagonist family. Like there was a decent amount of hype surrounding Kuroroshi as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But even though I knew that Yuta was going to pull this W out, Gege's in the moment tension building is so fire inside of the choreography because they clash with the Fester Life Blade against the Katana, the fucking like crazy, you know, bug demons shoot out of the Fester Life Blade and go directly into Yuta. The whole time I'm reading this, I know that Yuta has access to, to reverse curse technique, so he's not going to let himself die without trying to use reverse curse technique to heal himself. So we know that even though he said, I don't want these people to see me using reverse curse technique, that adds to the tension because we know that he doesn't want to use it. But at the end of the day, like he's not going to let himself die just so that Uro and and mm. you know and and ishigoro don't see his reverse curse technique so but still in the moment like you can still be killed before you can get your reverse curse technique off and the mm -hmm. the bugs erupting out of his clavicle after the fucking you know fester life blade comes in contact with him with the pods that he shot out after that yeah. happens and he instantly tries to deal with it and then Kuroroshi takes advantage of the moment and hits him straight in the fucking like sternum like solar plexus area that's with the fucking fester life blade in a direct hit i was like oh my god that's such a big deal even though i know reverse curse technique is in the back of my mind like this is still a route that he can take to get through this in the moment i'm like holy shit yuta is taking so much damage he's trying not to show people his reverse curse technique it just did so much for the in the moment tension for me even though i knew he had a back door so like it's very rare that that kind of thing is delivered as well as it is to me in action you know what i mean like you go over to something like black clover and it's like holy shit asta took a bunch of damage but like where's mimosa you know what i mean like i'm always thinking about that and it doesn't like really capture the same or like where's Sekre or something like that it doesn't really capture the yeah. same level of tension that jujutsu kaisen is able to do even though you know the answers for you know the drama are right there on the horizon i still felt that like clenchy uncertainty yeah. very know, visceral I yeah i think that they do a great job adding like stakes and having the like highs and lows of battle without like it being like a particular gimme mm -hmm. and even then yes he pulls out the w but it's not pretty yeah it's like even his the people observing him are like I would never do that. Yeah, exactly. You get <laughs> commentary like... like that that like adds to the subversion of the moment. Even though you knew reverse curse technique was going to be a factor either in Yuta's healing or the exorcism of Kuroroshi, we got both in the same mm -hmm. exchange, but the way that it was presented was just so 
uncertain in the page turns of exactly how it was going to go because there is that such an intense unexpected factor in Jujutsu Kaisen because so much of the energy system well, one, the energy system is very deep and nuanced, and there's a lot of uncertainty that can come from the way that people use it, you know, in tandem and in combination, mm -hmm. just in the moment. But then also at the same time, it's also still a very esoteric system, right? I feel like a mm -hmm. lot of people will, you know, kind of like not have an idea of what could happen next, even with all of the pieces laid out in front of them. You know what I mean? So for a lot of people, I feel like there was like just so much jaw dropping, holy shit, I wasn't expecting that from page to page to page. And you need to have those in the moment subversions loaded, even if you have a really nuanced power system, because you want both to play off of each other. You know what I mean? And Jujutsu Kaisen does that so well, in my opinion, that it's like all of these fights are going to be exciting, even if we know who the winner is going to be. You know what I mean? Oh, man. I I just liked the stakes in the fight. Like, yeah. I, I felt like it was a very healthy, realistic, like, for as fantastic a series as, like, I like that level of realism where it's like, yeah, good people, good fighters still can take a lot of hits and every single hit is gonna hurt like yeah. <laughs> like most fights do yeah. not last a long time yeah. like most fights are done in like maybe five throws like right. yeah and it's like you're just not expecting the actual actions that are going to be taken to reach the conclusion that you know it's go that we're going to get like we know mm -hmm. like like even though Kuroshi was built up to be this crazy curse and we were so worried about him at the end of the day like Yuta's not dying to this roach monster mm -hmm. so how is he going to pull out the W no one expected him to grab this motherfucker by the face French kiss him and shoot fucking first energy into his brain and fucking explode, explode his so fucking like even though we knew he was going to win no one knew he was going to win like that and that's what's important when you have expected results you know what I mean Mm -hmm. no healthy subversion um yeah. i really want to talk to uh the skyclad ladies yes Uro, let's go yeah, so i the way she's like right up on his business and no then the fear. following pages and the following pages there's that like wrinkle in space as if like someone like yeah cut out a photoshop editing and then right. like stretch the remaining textures yes. so i like that warping it reminded me of um oh god was it carl sagan that like basically had like a blanket with an egg yes and a ball in the center and talks about to how represent space the and fabric time, of space yes fabric of space and the idea of space wrapping i liked that a lot and i was thinking about the idea that like if you view the sky as a concept there's one sky. It is one object. So yeah. Yeah. if you're saying, I'm in the sky and I can manipulate the sky, I was thinking that she literally manipulates the space of the sky and can do that wrapping of the blanket around herself yes. to teleport or like project herself through this one thing. Yes. And uh, that, that was my prediction for, like, how her ability functions. Yeah. Um, I think, it, I mean, she's an assassin, right? So I feel like having an ability that lets you, A, turn visible, lets you fly, lets you teleport, would be a prime ability yeah. for an assassin. Yeah, um, I remember we were talking about her when she was first introduced, and, and, I had an, and I was thinking of, like, what her fighting style could possibly look like. 
And I was like, man, I just couldn't stop thinking about Gentle from My Hero Academia and mm -hmm. like seeing, you know, surfaces being created in random points in the sky to, you know, to bounce off of and use as leverage and shit like that for crazy, like aerial, you know, shit like that, where it looks like the actual shit is warping you know, the same way that it did in the gentle fight. And now we're actually seeing that, which is really fucking cool. But at the same time, it's like, is that it? A lot of people were talking about the possibility that this technique is entirely like illusory. And I'm like, absolutely not. You wouldn't have a zoomed out shot of the effect of this technique shown as like to the reader. Like, like Utah isn't yeah. like, it's not showing this as Utah's perspective. It's showing it as like a real world zoomed out. This is what's happening perspective. So I definitely don't think that this yeah. is an illusion at all. I think that this is actually what you were talking about, Mello, inside of like the sky is one giant blanket, essentially, and mm -hmm. I wear it and I manipulate it. I choose, you know, like how it kind of forms and shapes and acts, which is wildly broken, absolutely <laughs> broken. It, like even if that's all it does, that's broken as shit because it's like, okay, I wrap That's you. That's a hell of a yeah, all it yeah. does. <laughs> I, 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 st I stretch the blanket of sky around you and like bring the tensile strength to like really tight, dense numbers and then just let it go. <laughs> and now you're and literally just like flying like into space. Like, and if that doesn't kill you, you're at least very far away from the fight now. So having like that option inside of your kit is super broken for a situation like the culling games but also like how much deeper does it get than that for uro like can she control like the atmosphere to the point where like she can just take oxygen away from you in a controlled space like can she just stop you from breathing that would be really interesting if I, she was able to basically just do that like uh like what if you know how like she can wear yeah parts of things what if she applies it to her palm, just like palm shoves, hits Yuta on the face, and suddenly it's invisible. He yeah. can't, you, you literally can't see it, yeah. but he's suffocating. Yeah, just um, no air able to get to you. You know what I mean? Like that would be, that would just add to the brokenness. You know what I mean? But it makes sense that she would have an ability this broken because everybody's abilities are so broken. Broken, You yes. know what I mean? Like, that Fester Life Blade shit, even before the Fester Life Blade and Kurorashi, his just regular, like, bug swarm, the speed and ferociousness of that area of effect attack is wildly broken. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you can't even get close to this man. Like, you cannot be by him at all or you're going to get fucking, you know eaten from head to toe and turned into a yeah. skeleton like everybody's got that kind of like oh my god how do i deal with that aspect of their technique and that's why focusing on your power system and figuring it out and fleshing it out and making sure that it makes sense in all of the situations that you'll ever need it in is important in fucking shonen storytelling because especially for a story where the power system is so important to the plot as jujutsu kaisen you need to have these kind of moments where the cliffhanger is like okay, what the fuck am I looking at? This is like so mm -hmm. unlike any technique that we've ever seen before, but we know that Gege is going to tie it back in a way that makes sense to, you know, the foundation of the power system that they've set up because the history of the story has shown us that that's what he always does, you know? So that's what makes these end of chapter pages so exciting when they're presented like this in Jujutsu Kaisen because last chapter, the cliffhanger was Fester Life Blade. No idea what that meant. Knew the explanation was going to be amazing. Knew it was going to make sense inside of the power system. It always happens that way. And this fucking, you know, sky warp situation inside of Uro is like no exception. It looks, holy shit, 
what is the explanation for that? I can't think of it. But then when we finally get it, not only is it going to make sense to all of the examples of the technique that have been used so far before the explanation, but then after the fact, it's going to fit in with the rest of the power system stuff that we've gotten so far. And that's the most exciting thing to me. I wonder um, if this Uro is going to like attack now she's like you know what this is the weakest you're probably gonna be you got rid of kuroshi you got rid of druval uh, yeah. like i'm good i can if i can take you now and not deal with you ever yeah that would be amazing yeah um, i don't think she pulls up this close to him if she's not ready to engage and fully commit right now unless she's trying to like wrap him in this fucking blanket of sky and then just whip him across the, the fucking sky, colony yeah. or some shit yeah but oh man what uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Crash. Yeah, my question is, why did she just told him that she knows he has reverse curse if she's just going to just throw him out? That's that's instantly? a good point too. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 you're totally. I, right. I think she might she might try to negotiate or talk with him yeah. or something like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too because if you know that someone has like instant healing available in their kit, then like throwing them across the sky probably won't kill them. And in and even if you're not expecting to kill them like the only other reason why you would want to eject him from the scene is because you just don't want to deal with him in this area of your colony right now for one reason mm -hmm. or another. So like she could still whip him away just because she doesn't want to deal with someone that strong who also has access to cursed to reverse curse technique. So then that would probably play into writing about her actual motivations and why she did that and why she doesn't want you to around for the next mm -hmm. leg of whatever it is she's trying to do. But like, yeah, I think you guys are, I think you guys make a lot of sense that she, Probably, I think Crash, I like your idea that she's going to try to talk to him and negotiate with him. I don't think she tries to fight him right here at all until we obviously, you know, get potential storytelling. Negotiate, break down. To explain why she would want him to not be around, but yeah. I thought it was a way to, like, get inside her opponent's head. Like, oh, yeah, you were trying to save that? Yeah, I understand that, and I'm letting you know that I know so that you can be worried about it. Like, uh, an opponent that is not mentally focused is the ideal opponent. Right. Um, and if and she does have, like, if she does have oxygen, like, if she does have the ability to cut off your, your, um, your link to oxygen and, like, keep you from breathing, like, can reverse curse technique deal with that? Probably. No, no, you want to know what? Probably because like the whole reason why not breathing is dangerous is because it cuts off oxygen to your brain. If your brain can't breathe, you die. But we know that reverse curse technique can affect brain function directly because that's how Gojo is able to keep his limitless active at all times is because he has a, cur a reverse curse technique loop going you know oh. what I mean, for himself, right? So he hmm. keeps his he keeps his brain fresh you know, at all times with the reverse curse technique so that he can constantly have limitless as a 24 seven shield or whatever. It's been oh, a while my. since I've read that. So like maybe that won't even work against somebody with, but that know, might work somebody. because yeah. Utah's copied abilities before he's even like, Oh done the shit. Hand I forgot he could do that. He's, he's the Swiss army man. Like yeah. he's able to use, like he's used, able to use, you know, Furukake fish flakes. And, uh, he did yeah. like the hand sign for purple at one point, And he was oh, intimate shit. with Gojo. I don't even to, like, remember that. So he, um, <laughs> what hey, that's in volume zero oh is. damn i don't remember what chapter that is so like anybody yeah, yeah. in the comments please let me know because yeah. um, i i'm due for a reread but I, I want to do some targeted stuff to be right, honest right, right. yeah yeah um but she, yeah he's he's mimicked other people's like 
curse techniques before. Right. So you're saying that even if, like, okay, so like, let's say reverse curse technique can't, like, you know, help you in an asphyxiation kind of situation. Maybe he just copies Uro's curse technique and allows himself to breathe because he can now manipulate the sky as well. Oh. If that is a situation, I don't know if that's where you were going. I was thinking that she was going to try to do like the suffocations thing and like the, the keeping the brain fresh is such a weird niche ability that almost no one would ever need. So for her, it wouldn't exist. But Yuta. Thankfully, knowing yeah. Gojo and how his abilities work, having intimate knowledge of how the abilities work to the point that he can copy a few of them, mm -hmm. he'd probably know this ability and be like, oh, I actually have a way out. Yo. Fuck yeah. And then fights her on even terms after she tries to get the drop on him. Um, yeah. Because, like, who else would have that? Like, I, like if, I was an, if I was an assassin in the jujitsu world, I wouldn't expect anybody to have, hey, you have a curse to, reverse to curse thing, and your brain doesn't suffocate. Who the f thinks of that? Yeah, yeah. Only other possibility I can think of as to why she's engaging you to directly this close to him right now is because she's like, you have reverse curse technique. That's kind of hot. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, like we could we could be yeah. a thing. Like me and you could team up and like fuck this whole culling game situation up. I just needed somebody who has reverse curse technique, and you can use it on others too. Yeah, nah, team up with me, and then that's gonna win. create like a love triangle between like him, Uro, and like Rika. <laughs> I could totally see like potential drama in that way. Even if even if Yuta isn't actually interested in Uro, Uro can have that kind of flirty personality, like, yo, mm -hmm. let's team up, let's fight together, while also being flirty, and that could piss off Rika, which then affects Yuta, and it could be a situation yeah. like that, maybe. It could also be a situation where it's like, hey, this Ishigoro motherfucker with the pompadour has been following me everywhere, like, we've been cool up until this point, but I'd rather have you as an ally. Ishigoro already kind of sees you as a rival because of your cursed energy output, all chill in the back line, you and Ush Ishigoro, like, duke it out in your, like, output versus output kind of like dick measuring contest and then we can keep it moving thereafter as a duo i think that that would be a crazy development to get as well that would be really interesting because like if she can manipulate the sky and turn parts of herself invisible could she wrap yuta up in the sky and cause him to be invisible Probably. and give him cloaking which would be the oh, whole point no. of like because then you have like that world trigger-esque like vibe where it's snipers versus bagworm kind mm -hmm, of thing because mm -hmm. like ishigoro definitely seems like a sniper he's at a high elevation like he's always at a high elevation and he just seems like that kind of guy who's like spirit artillery yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know kind of thing yeah for sure yu style and i'm just like i'm waiting for it yeah. i'm waiting for it yeah this next chapter is about to be insane if we stay in this perspective which i think that we can be pretty confident that we are because the naming conventions for the chapters are like literally like sendai colony part one part two so like we can assume that we'll be in here for a decent amount of time just off of like the last segment of chapters entirely operating inside of tokyo colony so yeah do you think that this might be the ultimate flex of Yuta's powers and the fact that they hyped up four random people. They generated four like big bets and he just one after another eliminates all four of them. Yeah. Like 
He's like, yeah, I killed Druval. Well, that activated the cockroach. I killed the cockroach. The Sky Lady is here. All right, Ishikori's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see it, bro, because honestly, it's like we need to start feeling better about how we're going to take down Kenjaku. I have no idea how much more culling game storytelling is left. I'm assuming we're still like in the very beginning of it. I can see this being a very long, sprawling story arc. So you have to like kind of give, you know, um, give support to Yuta's notion that he's going to go take down Kenjaku by himself. Mm -hmm. And Kenjaku, even though we haven't seen too much directly from him, we have very high hopes for in the capability department because he set this whole thing up. He's yet to be defeated, et cetera, et cetera. He sealed mm -hmm. Gojo. He has all of these ridiculous feats under his belt. It's like, I couldn't see anybody on the protagonist team whooping Kenjaku until Yuta made the declaration and is now subsequently showing why he's capable enough. So... I love that idea that he just completely wipes out all of the characters that have been built up in the last couple of chapters, including Uro, Ushigoro, Kuroshi's already out of here, Drove is already out of here. Boom. Yutes is the only one left standing. He's the fucking like monster of Sendai colony. Switch perspectives to new colony. Yep. We'll be back to Yuta later. I he think that would be that, fucking all wild. All was 20 points. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was 20 but, points. But see, like, now we know how big of a deal that number of points is in general. So now that makes the 400 points goal, like, that much crazier. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, 75% like easy five point w's like no he's tried his hardest to get these 20 points basically and like that's a big deal in this area of this part of the culling game so who knows like what else is going on in other parts if fucking yuta is like struggling at this point you know what i mean like it just makes yeah. me so excited for the future of the arc man it just oh man because then it's like the temptation of like how many people do I destroy for just five points a piece? This is not worth it. And right. like at the same time, they didn't make a rule because I think it'd be interesting. It's like a rule that uh, uh, reveals all rules. So then he would be like, because like you can make a rule that a rule has been added, but you don't yeah. know what the rule is. Right. You don't know who made the rule. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah, it doesn't say who made the rule. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it does, yeah, does but it, it does say yeah. the rule. It does say the rule. It does, it does yeah. yeah. Like the yeah. the rule is broadcasted to everybody, but it does not say who. I don't think it says who added it. Because I think that'd be an interesting rule to have. Because it's like, hey, anytime a rule has been established, we know who made that rule. Period. And then that level of transparency, like, why did they make that rule? Why did right. they make that rule? What does that mean about their actions? How yeah. do they do that stuff? I um, think Kenjaku wants the chaos, though. So just having Kogane pop up at a random point and say a new rule has been added, like, and this is what it is, with no other information, now it's going to have people thinking, okay, who made that? Who do I have to look out for? Someone got enough points and made this specific rule. Now you're starting to think about the reasoning and the philosophy behind the decision-making for the rule, mm -hmm. and that can go into your performance directly. You know what I mean? So it just creates all this chaos that we know Kenjaku wants. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. I don't really have anything else to say. I want to touch on something that you had mentioned earlier about yeah. how the series, um, the fights are, they, they talk about like limiting the information that you give out to your opponents and the idea that like, um, like um, forced, like almost like a forced handicap, like fighting under your capacity 
the bare minimum of survival. Yeah. Because to show more than that is like a disadvantage. Yeah. And I really like that idea of like people. It's literally just ninja it, ninja philosophy with superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> and it like gives us fights that are close regardless. Yeah. Which I appreciate a lot. Oh, so yeah. like I like that mentality because it creates the style of stuff that I like. But yes. also in a world as violent and as cruel and as a, you know, is that knowledge control is important and like yes. coming from, uh, you know, the time period we live in, in where information is everything like, yeah, and information is super accessible. Yeah. I like that nuance in there. I think oh, there's, yeah. I think we have a deeper appreciation of it because of the world that we currently exist in. Yeah. 100%. Spitting, what very well said, but um, but yeah, I think yeah, I th I, th I was about to say I think that's all I had for Jujutsu as well. Huge conversation, Crash. Did you have anything else you wanted to add before we moved on? Uh, I just want to say for not necessarily for this chapter, just for the arc in general, because yeah. I don't get to speak much about it. Yeah, <laughs> go <I'm>... ahead, man. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's just, like in general, even in my channel, I don't speak about Jujutsu Kaisen often. Yeah, but I. I've been loving, like, I love Dead Games, and Killing Games essentially is Dead Game adapted into Battle Shonen, and I think it's it's doing that really, really well. Um, and yeah. This is probably a hot take, but this is my favorite arc from Jujutsu Kaisen so far. Hey, man, it's going to be everybody's <laughs> favorite arc eventually, yeah. so it's not, that, it's not that hot of a take, and honestly, I didn't even really think about it like that way. It's, like, so obvious now that you said it and I think about it, but yeah, like, Battle Royale... You know what I mean? Squid Game, yeah, yeah. like all that kind of shit, like wrapped up in a shonen, you know, like lens or through, like seen exactly. through a shonen lens is a really fucking cool thing, like to think about. I never, I literally never made that connection this whole time. And it's like so obvious now that you said it, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that is really cool. Hell yeah, dude. But yeah, I love it. Yeah, man. Well, I think that'll do it for Jujutsu Kaisen 175. Great conversation, boys. All right, getting into Dr. Stone, chapter 230, Human. How do we feel, boys? It keeps getting better. It keeps getting like, better and better. I swear yeah. to God. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Crash. No, but that reveal at first when we we got to was the Medusas, the Y-Men, I wasn't really that invested. Right. Um, but with the last like two chapters, the previous one and this one, it's getting cooler and cooler, and yes. now it makes sense. Right. I shouldn't have doubted. Right. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you think about it, and it's like when, and I was, we were talking about it um, either last segment or, or the segment before about how a reveal like this that you've been waiting to give to your audience for over 200 chapters, the longer you wait for the answer to the biggest mystery in your story plays a really big role in how well that that reveal and that payoff is received you know you have a story like one yeah. piece where it's like it's been going on for 30 years or, or close to 30 years by the time it's done and it all hinges on that one answer of what yeah, is the one piece like so no matter how good it's written how long you've taken to give that answer, so many headcanons have been created and so many expectations have been set up that you're almost guaranteed at at least a polarizing ending. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's yeah. for sure. But I, I think One Piece does it um, a little bit better because it it tells you little by little what yes. the One Piece is, so yes. you have a good idea. Yes. With Doctor Stone, you 
you really didn't. Right. You had you, you had got, nothing. There's had a nothing. Y man in, on the right. moon, and mm-hmm. yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's why when I saw them do this, I was kind of like, this I don't like it, especially because I don't think many people have read, but I read the the Doctor Stone does the spinoff yep. about um, Yaku, yeah, the reboot. I think we <laughs> yeah, okay, so we've yeah. all read that here. Awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I and I thought like the the Y man could potentially be the the Ray the robot. Right. Um, it wouldn't make too much sense now that I think about it. But yeah, at the time, it was like it wasn't there but i've had that yeah. same thought where i'm just yeah. like is a robot yeah. lonely waiting after all this time well we were exactly. talking we were talking about like i think we, we had we had og on the last episode we had shown in og on the last <laughs> yeah, episode yeah. and he's a dr stone like specialist right that's where he focuses like most of his 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 passion and he was talking about how like ray being an artificial intelligence that has leveled up to the point that it did in the reboot was too far was too like drastic of a disconnect scientifically from the answers of all of the questions you know that we've had in dr stone historically right so it's like every single time you raise an eyebrow in dr stone the explanation for it is always just scientific enough to where you're like okay yeah, I'm cool with that. Plus, you have, you know, the Kurare shout out splashed in the gutters like every single time, you know, anything scientific is really dove into. So you have that tether to reality that's just so consistent in the storytelling of, of Dr. Stone. And then you go to the reboot and now you have to suspend so much more disbelief than you usually do. So that's why that wasn't canon is because of how drastic that disconnect was. And we were talking about that um in in the last review with og but i 100 percent coming out of that reboot was like yo this could be the y man you know what i mean <laughs> i was like wait a minute hold on the riichiro and boichi yeah. might have just did something with this yeah yeah because i read the I, uh, the book itself i said i think it says that's semi-canon or something but but yeah which Ooh. probably means that ray isn't canon. exactly that's the non-canon like, maybe, factor yeah yeah maybe maybe I... the yeah. Ooh. So this reminds me of Gravity Falls, right? So they Never had this. They had, uh, it's it's a it's a kids show. It was actually it's built to be um, one season from beginning to end. The plot hooks are interweaved, and it's probably one of the most meticulously laid out like mystery esque like action comedy kids series. Great for adults good for kids um highly recommend it but they had a reveal they were just like and the 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 group was just like oh no the the fans are too close to being accurate like they they've they've figured out the major plot twist of the story and so they literally went on um they made up a story of someone overhearing like development talk about this and that of like with the story and then made fake leaks and then also started inserting visual cue stuff in art to to like disseminate all these like red herrings so that they could have like people divided enough on the like final plot reveal and i was like you know what? Maybe that's why they did the thing with the cannon because they're like, oh, oh it's a role. Because we were like, oh, maybe raise the raise Y man. Yes. They're like, ah, oh, damn it, they've already got us to their artificial intelligence. It's not cannon. It's yeah, not cannon. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Don't yeah. worry about it. This is still a cool reveal. That's yeah. hilarious. I don't know why they would go out of their way to make that so confusing when like 
we literally just like were waiting for these canon chapters to explain mm-hmm. everything anyway like we didn't really like until the the Byaku reboot like just by itself is what gave credence to these you know like ideas in the first place so without there being like a continuous like breadcrumb breadcrumb buildup that could lead in multiple different directions i don't know why they would add so much more confusion to a reveal and an explanation that was probably already wildly hard for them to write anyway you know what i mean maybe you know but like that's just like kind of like my yeah. thoughts on it but that gravity falls shit is fucking wild i had no idea that the creators hilarious that. stuff you should yeah. definitely watch it um i think uh your boyo would probably like it too yeah hell yeah dude yeah well, i'm sure it's on like regular streaming services too i've seen things for it i didn't know it was that deep of a thing though so <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird one a lot of cryptids yeah but were, did you have uh crash did you have like um I, f- I felt somewhere else that you were going with that initial like yeah you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, i was gonna say that the more i thought about it the reveal before the uh, on the chapter it was just revealed mm-hmm there wasn't uh, much other options to go because, realistically speaking, none, none of the characters that we've met so far could um, could have been Y Men unless there was like some huge plot twist. Yeah, it would either um, have to be like time travel, aliens, or yeah, or machines or AI. Like those were the three fucking yeah, options. That's true. Three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like logically, like like no other explanation possible yeah would make enough sense for a story like dr stone and even time travel is sus as fuck and like aliens are cool enough but seems like a little bit too hand wavy for a story like dr stone ai was mm-hmm. always the strongest the strongest mm-hmm. explanation but i i think it's really i love this kind of like curtain reveal you finally see like the zipper on the monster's back but the monster's underneath like the the costume is still alien enough and freaking terrifying that i'm just like mm, this is yeah. still not good yeah. It's, yeah even though they don't feel malicious just lack of emotion in human nature in general is just yeah. always terrifying their level of intuition knows like ah are you just going to decide that this is the ideal outcome and yeah. i just happen to be like an algorithmically acceptable collateral like i don't know man like I, oh, that's that's the horror like like series like uh, like movie like war games when we were on our big cyberpunk like spree for a minute i yeah. remember talking about that for like mm-hmm. ais and stuff so like mm-hmm. i really appreciate this one um i like senku just kind of calling out the machines like hey man you kind of shot us in the foot like you wanted us to fix things you set us back like so long. I, what are you still doing here? <laughs> like... But I like the reply. It was like you are not, you weren't smart as we thought. Yeah, I was like, damn, <laughs> damn, son, that hurts. Yeah. Um, but the part that like really spoke to me in this chapter was page twelve and thirteen. He's like, "How do you float? I don't know, but I'm ready." to learn yeah. and it's just like his hands outreach and he's like yes grasp the golden treasure and maybe like the machines will realize that like the humans will be more motivated by knowledge yeah. and access to knowledge than they are to longevity right and i was and thinking about like, like the explanation for why the why men were able to float because like this was something where it's like i think this is the first time that I remember anyway, in recent memory at least, where Senku was like, yo, I don't know what the fuck that's about. 
You know what I mean? And naturally, it makes sense that he would say that in a situation like this. But just the fact that that was just outwardly, like, spoken by Senku. Like, like how are you guys defying gravity? How do you float around like that? I don't got no clue. And I was like, damn. I was like, now I'm, now I'm really thinking about that question. And, okay, so here's my idea for it, right? So, like, the Medusas, when they petrify things, that blast of energy that comes out from them to petrify humans or pigeons or whatever species the dial is set to has a physical effect on matter around it like it creates giant fucking tidal waves and you could see the explosions of like more than just light like actual water and land like seem to kind of be affected right there's a force there you know what i mean so i'm thinking that they're just constantly shooting out enough of that petrification light to create the energy to move, but without setting it to a specific species so you don't have to worry about petrification of any living thing. And it's literally just the energy of petrification without a target. Yeah, honestly, I think it, it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, though, I was trying to see if there was like any panel of, of them having a problem getting into the area mm. of the Mizuza. Mm. which i don't think there yeah. is yeah that you just see the miasma and it's ominous and, and foreboding but it doesn't like physically hold them back in any kind of way yeah yeah man that's a pretty I... good point too though <laughs> you think that they would like mention some kind of pressure or some kind of like if they're yeah. all moving around <laughs> at once you know, like whatever that that is would be like, I feel like Senku would feel that effect around his body as he's being enveloped by them. So that's a pretty good point. He would, he would definitely mean, comment would... on it. He would comment on it, right? Yeah, but uh, he does have the, the astronaut uh, suit. So I don't know. That's true, if too. it's weak enough. Yeah, maybe. Big enough barriers. But like, still, like on like 16 and 17... He's literally surrounded by them while they're flying. So if they were throwing out little like bursts of like energy to keep them floating and keep them from falling to, you know, the ground or coming in contact with Senku or like too much or whatever, like Senku would feel those little pulses even through the astronaut suit, I want to assume. Or maybe he would just mistake it as like the actual feeling of Medusa's touching him. I have no fucking idea, but that's a pretty good point that you brought up, Crash. Man, like... 16 through 19 yeah. just absolute jaw-dropping gorgeous spreads i yeah. love the sense of scale like i love that they have like it took me forever to notice the tiny little astronauts on the bottom oh, of 16 17 yeah just like man and part of me seems like the way this is optimistic and the ways like lend us your bodies so that we can like learn your technology and like have you guys ever played like much of like the civilization games? I have not. Yeah. Um, so you hit a point and one of like the major win conditions is you set up like a space colony and shoot it off the earth and it's, you know, yeah, that's the way we always like the idea of like expanding humanity beyond a single planet and like you know, colonizing and uh, terraforming the rest of the world. Like, they even have a follow-up game called um, Civilization yeah. Beyond, and it's like a sci-fi version of that, which I thought was a lot of fun. Um, I haven't played that one. It's it's a good one. I, I like it. It's not as um, 
complex dense as like say civilization because of like the narrowness of sci-fi etc but like i think it's a really good game and i was thinking that like in dr stone this might be the next arc basically is the idea of like we've won we've managed to like come out of these talks unscathed and we have sci-fi level technology in which that we can create uh like an expansive spacefaring civilization. And I feel like that might be the, the direction that this is going in. And that like that Senku is like, Hey, you want us to like repair you? Well, we need to be around to do so. Right. We're not interested in lasting forever. Like you guys, we can't do that. And the way we maintain is like, we teach our next generations. We want you to partner up with next generations and right. basically have like a like a shark remora relationship where you guys are the key to our spacefaring travel and we yeah. are the key to maintenance and like right. your artificial immortality. Well, it would have I to feel be like, like that. that. Would, I think it would be a really interesting yeah. way to do it because we've had like the very human notion that like the confrontation with Wyoming man was destined for violence like they sent stanley who was the best shot and all that yeah. stuff and they were like hey yeah. you know we got the rpg nets we've got all this we get prepared for whatever's gonna go up there and i think it'd be really interesting that like the idea that like the humans are like you know what our greatest weapon isn't a weapon at all or the way we can conceive of destroying things it, the, our greatest weapon as a human is community is about yeah. like having a group and like alliances and working together yeah. and then taking that notion to defeat defeat the big bad of the series and like move forward to like new heights seems very uplifting and i feel optimistic which kind of keeps in tone of the series yeah and 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 spacefaring is like definitely the move because like and, and not that i like see or that i foresee you know senku in them actually using the medusas to give humanity like literal like immortality like whenever you're sick like medusa yourself up fix it like no more aging either you know what i mean like i don't see them going like that far to it to where nobody is ever sick or dies again because then you know i just can't see them doing that like on an ethic or, like, moral, moral side of things right i yeah. just can't see the cast wanting to do that but if they did you know like let's say they do do that they're going to have to find out how to you know travel from planet to planet and terraform and 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 populate different areas in in space because otherwise they're going to run into an overpopulation problem on earth you know what mm -hmm. i mean because like if you're just make everybody immortal then eventually like there's you know there's only so much coastline you know what i mean yeah exactly like there's only so much space right so you eventually have to go into like okay well let's set up shop on mars or you know whatever you know what i mean so it's like um, some of the supernatural stories where the idea that hell isn't infinite and so there's only so much room for so many souls, period, and right. then when it reaches its capacity, it explodes outward and causes the end of time. Zombie apocalypse, according yeah. to George Romero, right? That's, the dead. that's what yeah. George Romero said. He said that hell is full, so the dead walk the earth or whatever. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. No, it's like, yeah, that's... Uh, I, I I think that the logistical issues of certain things would be very interesting. And I wonder how the... Because he's talking about, like, the universe better get excited. I'm like, is that the Yo. next stage? <laughs> Please. Please. 
the whole universe had better get excited. I've never like gotten like more <laughs> chills from a Senku quote at the end yeah. of a chapter than that. That was fucking awesome. Ah, so good. So Just, good. Like, what, what does that mean? What's going to happen? And the fact that he's having private talk is really interesting because then he can say, like, he can, like, kind of talk his shit and be like, hey, man. You're lucky you're talking to me. I'm the smartest fucker out here. Like, <laughs> logistically, here's what we're going to need for, right. need for, for this to work. And right. honestly, there's no way I'm going to convince all these people without certain amount of concessions. We both yeah. want the same things. Let's both get the same things. Right. Bang, bang, boom. I don't know. I just feel like that's the general... I think that's going to be the, the way it's going to go. He's going to have to be like, hey, you know, you're a cool robot, but you're not thinking the way we do. Right. And like, this disconnect needs to be addressed. Yeah, yeah 100%. Makes sense. Actually, uh, coming into into the podcast, I was actually thinking about the the idea that it could be um, kind of like the, the immortality that you were talking about, um, where they can just keep um, helping people, you know, with the with the Medusas, and so eventually they they don't even age. Um, but yeah, that does cause a bit of a, a moral problem, which right. I was I was interested in in seeing uh develop because yeah. even if senku even if the main cast doesn't necessarily agree with that which i think we've we've seen them talk about it in previous yeah. chapters because you know they, they've had this technology for a while anyways um that doesn't necessarily mean that all of humanity agrees exactly <laughs> and i know that Rishiro inagaki you know wouldn't introduce that moral quandary in his story without having a creative you know answer for it in the writing you know what i mean like yeah. like we literally like as soon as yoga and, and sukasa were murdered you know in the stanley and Zeno arc before this like that question was brought up by sukasa as he was fading away like yoga's definitely dead even if we all get petrified right now and stop our damage yoga is dead as fuck so how does that work and then they all get petrified suika does the thing revives everybody and Hyoga comes back. And then you have that scene of Senku and Hyoga and Tsukasa. And I think one other person, maybe Ukiyo. And they're like, so we have an immortality device now. What do we do? You know, and yeah. like it was kind of like left alone right there. So I know that Rishiro Inagaki is going to circle back around and be like, here's our, here's our answer for this. And it's going to slap. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking that that could come now, at least. Ooh. Uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what if we, what if we're talking about that next chapter? Yay! Yes. Now that's like what I want from next chapter is to talk about that because, like, that's been in the back of my shit for like, you know, since then. (laughs) You know, if we think about it, it's kind of like the, it's perfect for both sides because Medusa gets to keep them immortal yeah. and also gets to have them repair them, yeah. which is essentially what Medusa wants. Yes. Um, so so in that in that regard, it'll be perfect for the Medusa, at least. And I'm kind of curious because why does, doesn't Sinku want everyone else to hear what he has to say? Good question. Unilateral decisions are rarely popular. Yeah, and, and he was yeah. like, so now, now that makes me think that he really does want to talk about what we were what we were just kind of going into a moment ago about like the moral aspect of, you know, Medusa immortality, because like he already made a point to like have that conversation away from everyone else at his own camp long before this Y-Man arc. 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's the now again going out of his way to separate himself from the rest of communications lets me know that it probably has something to do with that conversation. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I really appreciate, like, at this point of the series, understanding why a man figuring out like the motivations behind the actions like with the vacuum seal and like hey be aware of us this and that and i love that like the it's the other side of the mystery right like after having this mystery having digested it week from week for so long and just like letting that like my like they've done a really good job at like presenting a handful of perspectives and never truly giving away the big reveal always implying but like never like having the major confirmations and then finally once we get the reveal i still get like surprised about like oh hey that's why these things acted the way they did like it makes me reflect i'm like okay you know what that does make sense like all these things do make sense from the machine's perspective and i like i really appreciate that kind of like um level of nuance and a restraint yeah well said. Storytelling-wise. Hell yeah. I agree. Yeah, man. Do we have anything else for Dr. Stone this week? Uh, no. Yeah, I think I'm good, too. All right, getting into My Hero Academia, chapter 344, stars. It's the last segment of the night, no one piece. How do we feel? It's, it's ending. <laughs> it's ending. <sighs> Definitely feels like it, absolutely. Yeah, like that so, that look out of um, of Dobby and uh, I'm blank Todoroki. Yeah, of, the, uh, Shoto, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shoto. Yeah, that's what that's really yeah. what made it feel like okay. Yeah, this is the final battle for real. Yeah. <laughs> it's Dobby and Todoroki with Endeavor right there. Like, yeah, this got to be final confrontation shit. For me, the the. The part that hurts the most is, like, even though I'm not much of an anime guy, I have seen, like, the part where, like, Endeavor is at the exams or, like, the school sports thing mm -hmm. and is just yelling his son's name, being an obnoxious, like, sports dad. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and then I was, like, and, like, people were, like, oh, what a dickhead. And I just imagined, like, Dobby doing the exact same thing in this moment. I was just like, oh man, you're both you're both so toxic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, this uh, was a this was a great chapter for the build up into the the this like final clash that we have here because obviously the last chapter was all about, you know, starting the conflict and using, you know, Aoyama, you know, as you know, the bait or whatever to get all for one to come out and have all of his troops spawn and thinking that he had the the advantage when really they didn't. And there was a lot of mystery and a lot of like untold things that were going down inside of that situation. And now we haven't really moved ahead too far in time, but this chapter was dedicated to just filling in the gaps that, you know, we were kind of wondering about after the last chapter and I think that that was just perfect to put right here in this moment before we actually go into all of the intense fighting and combat and abilities clashing and that we're about to get probably for the next, like, rest of the, <laughs> you know, the conflict, right? You just, like, go ahead and cover all of the ins and outs of the plan and why it worked the way that it did. And now we can just throw hands. And it's just very exciting. 
especially with the Western community, uh, if we didn't get the answers right now, there's going to be a lot of people complaining that right. oh, it didn't make sense or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even so though, even getting... though, even though, like, if you've been paying attention, like, even without this chapter, we had a pretty good idea of what was going on. Like the predictions that we made, as far as the explanations for like why things happened the way that they did. Mello actually was the one that pointed it out in the last segment about. Um, you know, Aoyama's mother having this, like, you know, light gray film over her eyes, which was implying Shinso's involvement. I don't think there was anything drastically hinted at that in the previous chapter, but Mello pretty much nailed it as far as, like, what was going on. And then we get, like, the direct explanation that that is exactly what was happening, you know what I mean? So I could definitely see on the Aoyama you know, cooperation side of things, that being very confusing for a lot of surface level Western readers on Twitter that might not have connected those dots. If we didn't get the explanation in this chapter, they could have complained about that, but we don't have to worry about that because it's right here. Spoon <laughs> fed us. Yeah. Feels good. It feels good. I was just like, ah, this is cool. Indication. That was like an amazing right. spot in the last fucking segment. I remember when you called uh -huh. that out, I was like, holy fucking shit. I like didn't even not even close to to putting that I, together yeah but like for the me this chapter my favorite thing is it's all because it's like what it is like we've had the part where like what it means to be a hero and then we also talk about like people being blessed with quirks since stars and stripes and then like people struggling with quirks with like shigaraki going full tetsuo and then <laughs> I like that these guys are getting like a full chapter or two to shine because I feel like they deserve it. And it like, it's a spotlight of like people that don't have like pe these people aren't burdened by their quirks. They're not particularly blessed by their quirks. They are just working with what they have. And I like that. Like that sort of like, uh, I don't know. It's not averageness, but like yeah. in a quirk society that totally is just like average athletic ability it's like you know what it doesn't matter if you're an average dude you can do the thing you can do things yes. you can do things regardless and still be um pivotal to the things that you are involved with yeah there's no and such I, thing I, as a bit player you yeah, have that been, was such a good yeah you I have been that. and will always be a star now in the fan translation when i read this shit on friday the translation was like there's no such thing as a side character and when mm -hmm. I read that, I was like, oh, that's really nice for you to say to Manoma in this moment. But, like, there's definitely a such thing player? as a side <laughs> character. Like, I'm sorry. Is a side yeah, player? like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you're trying to be nice, but, like, that's not facts, bro. Like, you did Too not. Meta. You, Too yeah, meta. that's <laughs> not, like, some revolutionary, like, die. Like, no, you're definitely a side character player. I'm sorry. But the way that it's presented in the official, there's no such thing as a bit player makes that slap, like, so much you're harder. A star. Even, like, even, like, past the, you know, the, the narrative and into the audience like that that hits on both sides because like for me also, as the audience yeah. and the fan scan i was like no i'm sorry bro there there is a such thing like, and you very much are one yeah <laughs> and like page 11 i like manoma just cackling in the background about being the man behind the curtain like he's yeah. such a fucking ham yeah. i love it <laughs> yeah like this he's is like his very moment where he yeah, like, he, he gets to be Manoma with confidence in this moment. Like, he's always saying shit like this about, like, how he's, like, great and all that. He's, like, very self-aggrandizing like in that way. But, like, in this moment, it actually slaps because you are doing the damn thing, sir. So yeah, go I mean, ahead like, and have even your moment. His, even his posture, he's like, I was born to play a villain. <laughs> <laughs> all the 
sill of the screen. Yeah. You know, it's just like, God damn, yeah. dude. Yeah. He's loving that. I love when the, like, I love when the clash starts and you have Shigaraki like bent over. He's like, "Well, I'll open up with this decay." You know what I'm saying? And he's like starting to like load the decay up for like the initial blast wave. And Dobby like mm -hmm. runs past him, like, you know, you ain't the leader. You know, you ain't the boss of me. I'm about to go fight my family. And it's like, okay, that's a great way to kind of like address the overpowered nature of decay and how it's like, okay, we've already started off a fight with this technique in the paranormal liberation front war we don't want a repeat of that dobby makes sense to run past shigaraki and not go with the plan because he sees his family members and like now shigaraki doesn't really have access to a blast wave of decay because now dobby has ran into his radius so he doesn't want to hurt his teammate i'm assuming is why he kind of pulled mm -hmm. that back and we didn't get that there he was really close the pinky was coming down to start the wave and dobby's like nah bruh uh, my, my my brother's here you know what i mean so now it's like we don't have to worry about oh this fight doesn't make sense because why doesn't shigaraki just fucking fold everybody with decay he's not able mm -hmm. to because dobby is not playing you know his role properly which also makes sense because they've never been very you know teamwork oriented anyway no. you know what i mean so it just felt really good that we got that right away at the start of the conflict i mean absolutely i think that like there's also that like twitch as well where he's like possibly like still feeling it you know like the whole transformation transformations and like yeah it looks like he's stabilized but yeah. like you know that's gotta be the worst like hangover in existence yeah he, no, that's a good point good, man yeah he probably is like, still reeling from the from the back. star and stripe attack yeah that's what you oh, mean, man. right? Sorry. <laughs> That's what you yeah, meant, right? The Star and Stripe attack is still, like, affecting yeah. him. Like, do we even know I'm if he sure. still has Decay? Like, has he used Decay, like, on screen mm -hmm. since he stopped fighting Star and Stripe? Has he been it... on screen? Uh, and yeah, I think, he, yeah. He, I think he's only, yeah, barely been on screen, like, maybe yeah. once or twice I, in, like, a... Not, like, fighting or anything, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, he definitely I hasn't fought since has. then. Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting if he doesn't have it. Like he has that moment where he's like about to use it, and he's like, "Why no do the thing that I always do?" No, I think that's <laughs> looking, looking at the yeah. page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looking, he he does ha stop for a second, and I don't think it's because of Dobby. Sure. Because I think it, it's pain. That's an X. Yeah, maybe. Right. But it, maybe he, he sensed pause. him coming. Maybe he paused because he sensed yeah. him coming. But you're right, Crash. It might not be Dobby the reason why he reacts this way you know, in the top two panels or in the top two yeah. corners in the yeah. top right. Yeah. <laughs> or top left. Jesus. Okay. Yes. This top, <laughs> on this the top. Panel. Yeah. The, this the first panel. third of the page. There we go. Yeah. There we go. But yeah, no, you're totally right. But also at the same time though, I don't think it makes sense for him to not know whether or not he has decay right now. Right. Because it's like, this is obviously something that all for one, like, he's like, all right, you guys, we're going. We're going to go fuck him up. This is, like, our time. You know, like, why wouldn't you... After an attack like Star and Stripe where she's legitimately declared, I'm attacking all of your quirks, why wouldn't they then, as, a, as an organization, have a conversation about what quirks he still has left before they go into this confrontation, right? So I think he definitely does still have Decay, at least. Because otherwise, mm. why would you try to use it if you didn't know that you had it i mean it makes sense why you would try to use it if you didn't know that you had it but why would you not check to make sure you had it for sure 
before mm, coming, it does be, seem before like coming here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think he definitely does still have decay, but at least, but uh, but yeah, it's not suited for like because it just wipes out everybody. Yeah. He's yeah. just like, well, I can't use it. It's the melee. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you can still test it. it right you can still test it. You know what I mean? You can grab a cup yeah. or something. You know what I mean? Like, and decay the cup real quick and be like, okay, I still got that. Yeah. <laughs> I always think about Shigaraki as means that he was always like had his cup out with like his pinky out the entire time. His entire <laughs> life. Yo. Everything he was doing. And he's just like, hey, how's it going? Just, uh, <laughs> hey, not, not much. How about you? <laughs> This can't wine this. is superb. Yeah, yeah type can't shit. do this. Yeah. Not this, no sir. Yeah, like his ability is more taken out of a horror movie than a battle shonen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's awful. Like just watching people get desiccated to like and turning into dust. I was like, oh, that's yeah. brutal. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. like that at all. Yeah, that's definitely bad not. death. Bad death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, at least, like, you know, a villain has it, right? Like, that'd be crazy if, like, a protagonist mm -hmm. had decay in a shonen manga. Yeah, know. could. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Could. Society would just be like, you're a bad guy. Go away. Ew. <laughs> and Demon then you just child. become a villain anyway. <laughs> oh, man. That, oh, technically, um, that's a little bit of, the, of uh, Shigaraki's backstory, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, we they've definitely talked, you know, at length inside of My Hero Academia. Well, maybe not at length, but we've definitely seen multiple times dialogue centered around the fact that certain quirks are so scary to people that they automatically label you as a terrible person just off of what you're capable of alone, yeah. which is very X-Men. Yeah. But yes. Oh, man. So there... Remember how I was talking about um, the lie detection quirk? Yeah. The Descendant. Oh, shit, page I think one, I do remember that. that. Page one is that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you were saying that last time. Yeah, yeah so that's the dude. Um, he's got the lie detector ability. Um, or it could be a sister, because in the series where they explain Kuragiri's backstory in My Hero Vigilante, um, she has an ability that is a lie is literally lie detector. Mm, yeah, you were talking about the last review and that that potential link there. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. It's really solid. Um, but like, on that, the art on page ten, looking at a uh, Miracos like new arm, it reminds me of the Hextech Gauntlet from Arcane. If either of you have seen that, it totally does. Mm, no. Straight up, yeah, does. it's totally like Vi's like puncher. Arm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it and it and it does like you know it does make sense as a potential reference for for Kohei because Kohei you know has been known to take the things in pop culture that he likes and like sneak them, you know mm -hmm. like into you know into his shit maybe not to the degree that like you know Jujutsu Kaisen or Chainsaw Man does or anything like that <laughs> but we've definitely seen you know little spot Easter egg shit like that like fucking Denji was in like the collection yeah. of heroes that pulled up to the paranormal liberation front war and shit so like you never know you never know that's a really cool spot though i definitely didn't think about that at first but that's totally like vi from from league of legends vibes right now and then like right above that hand is a guy dressed up like an x-men ah shit <laughs> yeah love that yeah yeah you're always gonna get like little shit like that man I love like noticing little shit like that in 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 Kohei's writing and in Kohei's art and shit, bro. Whenever I notice that, whenever it's pointed out, I'm just like, yeah. Go so Kohei. 
I feel like the sectional parts of the fortress wrap up and then they have like thrusters or something or magnetism to like yeet them away. And I feel like that's how they're going to deploy them because they're talking about how parts of the school can like rock it off. Mm. So I'm like, ah, oh, that's kind of cool. You turned a defensive measure into somewhat offensive measure like that's awesome i like that yeah um and it does that classic thing of like having small group battles and they're like we're all separated even though we all came together for that final clash so you don't have like that infinity war thing you're just like all right now we're gonna split you all up we're gonna have like a 2v2s we're gonna have tournament style stuff and you know we'll divide and conquer yeah yeah no i was like all right i like that it's classic like structure Divide and Conquer is always going to be, like, top one stratagem when it comes to, Mm -hmm. like, big-scale battles where, you know, the opposition seems to be a little bit more stacked than you. And I love the fucking page 15 paneling, you know, with the katakana into the gutters to, like, really show this locked-in caged effect. I had to point that out because I was like, damn, that's really creative. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't notice. That's nice. Yeah. I love that so much. Love, yeah, because mm. we don't really get that much on on American comics. I think the right. ones that I've read. Right. I, I might be wrong, no, but I totally love the way right. that manga manages to do the yeah, like the special effects into the yeah. manga. Yes, yeah, so you'll you'll get like really cool. Um, they, like it does it does happen in the West, but honestly, I think that it is a lot more consistent. And, you know, in the East to, to get paneling structures like this on the pages. But there's so many times, like, I can think of off the top of my head in, like, Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force run from, like, 2009 in the first arc. The, you know, it, it all kind of hinges on this decision of whether or not to kill this small child. And they're, like, having this, like, moral argument among the team. And then one of the, the one member that's not involved in the argument just takes it upon themselves to shoot the kid in the forehead in the background. And the blam sound effect is written in huge bubble letters and that's the whole panel is just the blam sound effect but then inside of the letters is the comic drawn like of people reacting to the sound of the gunshot and shit so they do be doing it sometimes but like it's very few and far between manga does it like all the time so yeah yeah but um but yeah man wow what a situation we have here I, like, totally was not expecting this area of the strat. You know what I mean? Like, I imagined a lot of things, and my expectations were shattered, and, and you know, and, and what ended up happening was a lot better than, than what I assumed, which is, like, what I love in manga prediction when it happens that way. But, like, this situation where they're just completely, like, se- separated and, and trapped in these little, like, you know, UA building balls or whatever the fuck this shit yeah. is like i was like not expecting them to do this right here so like that was really cool to get because i just pictured this as like a it's a clash we're going to have crazy strategy inside of the clash it's all going to be like broken down and kind of like separated to give everyone their character writing in their little moments of their fights and shit like that i expected it to be very similar to you know the parallel paranormal liberation front war but just with different writing on the you know on the ground level but this is like a completely different avenue that i like wasn't expecting them to take and that's just like really cool to get like an unexpected you know kind of like switch like that in the strategy yeah, we get to have a little bit more of a, a focused fight right i was thinking about what are going to be the um the pairings that we're going to get mm-hmm. because i assume todorok is going to fight dobby um 
uh Chaka is gonna fight um Toga. Toga. And of course uh Deku's gonna fight Shigarashi. Shigarashi. Yeah, Shigaraki, yep. Uh but I was like thinking like was is gonna fight Bakugo. Yeah. Hmm. Some like no named like like see like and this is where like this is why I, I, I love stories like My Hero Academia is because like it's really hard to you know, especially in a climactic point in the narrative where, you know, multiple plot threads are kind of trying to be wrapped up simultaneously in this action. And it's like, these are plot threads that have been hanging for a long time. Like, we've been waiting to see these things. So introducing new characters in this moment can be very difficult to allow them to have the impact they need to match up to, like, the grandiose, you know, built-up narrative stuff in all of the known characters. But I have total faith in, 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 a, in a writer like Horikoshi Kohei to introduce characters that we've never seen before in this fight that will end up just being head over heels in love with by the end of their like little arc inside of this specific interaction. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So even if Bakugo does get some no-named villain that we've never seen Sludge. before, the writing for the... Oh, shit! Isn't Sludge here? Sludge is there because oh. they are the call, and I think that oh. would be a hugely satisfying. Oh, fight. that'd be cool. That'd, that'd be nice. But even if it wasn't Sludge, like whatever character that Kohei decided to match up against Bakugo, the fact that that character is going against such a beloved character like Bakugo in such a climactic point in the story, they're gonna get incredible writing. You know, even if we don't know who they are before this point, like mm -hmm. we're going to end up being like that person is great. You know what I mean? Like even if it's um like the two remaining lone guns yeah. from the Tartarus arc that were never really shown, but their silhouettes were there, yeah. and like there's two dudes that showed up that fit those silhouettes. Yeah. So like maybe it could be those guys. Ah, Sludge sounds cool. Sludge feel... sounds cool, <laughs> yeah, fam. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Like, if he was fighting, it's, like, it's Sludge simple. and then maybe Spinner, that would be a really interesting one, because yeah. then those are the two... I feel like Spinner's gonna fight Deku. Really? Oh, I because feel... he, they have to have that conversation about that area like, of, like, feel like he's quirk gonna... society that Deku, like, doesn't have to directly deal with. Mm -hmm. I think he's gonna be he's gonna fight him and he's going to be like hey you are the one guy recognized by Stain I'm, I'll talk to you while I'm fighting you but I'm fighting you oh and sure yeah and, and, and the Stain like, link I didn't even think about that and then I was thinking that he could have like that sort of like the fulfillment of like reaching understanding for that like Stain just couldn't get across to others. Whereas I feel like Spinner would be like, hey man, I don't believe in any of this dogmatic bullshit. Things are fucked up. Yeah. I don't trust all for one. I think Shigaraki is falling apart literally yeah. at the seams. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I don't think that Deku like directly engages all for one and Shigaraki the same way that everyone else seems to kind of be directly engaging their counterparts mm -hmm. so far because it looks like Shigaraki is still reeling from the Star and Stripe fight. He's still like kind of in his head a little that. bit. He's like waiting to like, you know, reach that point where he can actually like jump into the fight. He seems a lot more reserved, you know what I mean, than mm -hmm. usual, at least off of this chapter. So it makes sense that Deku would have something to do in the meantime before Shigaraki's ready to really put his back into it. You know what I mean? So having him confront Spinner would be a great way to have that storytelling tying into Spinner's love for Stain or his admiration for Stain, rather, you know, and that tying into Deku, obviously, the way that it does that you explain, Melo. But then also, like I was saying, it would be good for 
you know, philo uh, philosophical reasons if Deku did have a real one-on-one -on -one conversation with the head of the, like, heteromorph, you know, kind of faction. Because I do feel like that is, like, if Deku is going to be the number one hero that goes about changing society as a whole in all of the ways that it's problematic, he does have to have this racism conversation with a villain. And there's no Absolutely. better time... You know, then right now with in the, the heat of battle, spinner in to the have a good battle. healthy conversation. Not really good healthy conversation, but you know, it's a fucking shonen, so there's going to be yeah, hell of while they're throwing hands. You know what I mean? So I think that that would be cool to get a matchup like that. All right, Spinner, yeah. do some takno jutsu. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make an ally today. <laughs> hell yeah, I mean, uh, Spinner and Toga and even Shigaragi need to have that redemption arc. I think yeah. all the yeah. others. I don't. I don't think Dobby is gonna get it. Honestly, I oh, think yeah. Dobby's going to get think he punched should. in the face. Yeah, yeah exactly, he exactly. He's too like, far really gone. Like, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I think he, he and all for one are the contrast ones. that. Yeah, contrast the thing, and I feel like Shigaraki is also going to be um, there. Like, not quite. Like, if you have like the spectrum of like redemption, right? Mm -hmm. You have Spinner on one. Spinner is like the easiest to redeem. Then there's like Toga. Then there's um, Shigaraki because you you pity him in the same way that you pity like Toga, but like you've actively done so much harm out of like bitterness and lashing out that like you shouldn't really be forgiven for your actions. Cool, like cool yeah. motivation, bro. Still murder. Yeah, I feel um, like yeah. Shigaraki might even be ahead of Toga on that list, honestly, because there is like that entire factor of him just not knowing that it, the extent of all for one's control and influence over his life entirely. Oh like, yeah, the, the fact that, that he was like groomed heavily. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's like, you know, I feel like those two are in the middle, right? Like yeah. it's it's very muddy waters. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's Dobby, who yeah. has, you know, fully bought into maliciousness yeah. as a means and an end. Yeah. Yeah, he's totally like completely like he aware of his up. yeah, he's like aware like he's yeah. in full control of his facilities. He, he has not been influenced in any kind of way to act this way. This is just his experiences going, okay, this is how I grew up. This is what happened to me. This is how my parents and my family abandoned me. And now I am fully reserved in my motivations to enact revenge. And I don't care if it kills me. I, there's no, yeah. I don't want to go back to a normal society. I don't want my family to care about me. I just want them to suffer. And sure, there's always a chance that you could get through to him in some kind of way that he wasn't prepared you know, to, to kind of like realize about himself and that can always be writing. But as far as redeemable characters, as far as we know them now, Dobby seems Dobby and all the for one are the two least redeemable characters on the side of the fence. So we, we kind of thought the same about Endeavor when, when he first popped up. That's true too. <laughs> we were like, he's the worst kind of guy. And then, yeah, uh, yeah, that's it why I kind of left that little, you know, that little, I left some slack on the end of that rope there and was like, you never know like yeah. what kind of writing you could really receive at the end of the day. But just how I'm feeling right now, I think Dobby dies yeah. or, you know, fucking, um, you know, gets rots in jail. Yeah, rots in jail forever. And there's no like, you <laughs> yeah, know, he's I not going like... to be at the cookout anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, like Dobby is basically going to go for like when he finally realizes that he's losing mm -hmm. I feel like he's going to go for like for Endeavor 
and like really try to like cremate himself and oh fuck like, you know what you know what my yeah. like, you are the cause of all my suffering i'm going to take you out i'm never going to turn this down like this is what i want to do like you were the main goal my brothers were only victims to increase your suffering you know hey yo so dude I mean, if that's how dobby goes out <laughs> with the fucking bear hug like you know yeah. incendiary tomb yo that'd be or wild like, or he does this kind of thing where he's like i'm gonna blow you up both up i'm close enough that like i can just destroy you incinerate you on contact i'm going to die because of it and like endeavor just kind of looks over to his son and like shoots a fire thing to the side and like hits Todoroki and like knocks him loose of grasp then oh, they both yeah. and have that moment of like hey you were a bad dad the entire time but like at the same time when the chips are down in a final moment you were able to be fatherly to a degree good job Yo. still a dickhead uh, you know you'll dude cross. if that's really how it is and Dobby has like both of them dead to rights and some kind of crazy explosion blanket like self-destruct mm -hmm. like Voltorb shit that he's about to to do <laughs> and then endeavor fucking like shoots todoroki out of the way of like the, the kill radius for it mm -hmm. like that would be such a wild way for that plot point to kind of be like wrapped up dude i honestly think that that like is the level of epic that we can see in my hero academia and that it is a possibility and that would be so wild to me if That's Endeavor and Dobby both die or some shit, like, in that way, but, show, but Endeavor save Shoto, whoo, what kind of conversation is that going to be at the dinner table in the fucking, like, epilogue storytelling? Yeah. Jesus Christ. That's the way to do it, because he could, like, encase himself in ice, and so the fire wouldn't hurt him immediately. And then he's a far enough distance, he creates more ice as he keeps rolling around into like a giant ball of ice. The cremation thing goes up. You see like the rapid melting and like the crack because of the sudden shift in temperature. Yeah. That'd be heat, man. I, I'm not gonna lie, that'd be fucking wild. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I've done better on a fucking fantasy football. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, yeah, wild, wild notion to kind of uh, wind down the conversation with. I don't know if you guys had any other input for My Hero Academia 344. I just want to see the matchings. Yeah, the matchings. Yeah, same. I want to see that shit too. Crash, you think yeah. you're good on Hero this week? Yeah, I, I, I think yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great conversation, you guys. Wow. Even even with only four chapters to discuss, we still got a nice, hefty, chunky conversation out of Weekly Shonen Jump on YouTube this week. So good shit, gentlemen. Thank you all so much for watching. If you did, Crash, thanks for joining us, man. It was glad to finally get you here, man. Throughout all the scheduling nightmares, we finally did it. And it was a beautiful conversation, bro. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me again. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. yeah. Too many more. I'll come back anytime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, I'll definitely be I'll definitely be hitting you up whenever that makes sense. Absolutely. But um, and of course, we'll make sure that we throw all of Manga Crash's links down in the description for you so that you can check out his channel, follow him wherever he is present, and check out the kind of content that he's got going on because it's brilliant. Okay. Wouldn't have him here if it wasn't. 
while you're down there checking out um, Manga Crash's links, make sure you check out our own. You can follow us on Twitter, join our online communities like Discord, listen to us wherever you normally consume your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, what have you. And uh, you can also support what we do here by checking out our online store and our Patreon. Those links will also be down in the description as well. But with all that said, I think that'll be another stupendous episode of the Project Manga Podcast. Wrapping up, I'm your host, Knox. I'm Melo Yenis. And Manga Crash. And we'll catch y'all next time. Mm-hmm.